All right. So, you know, we're in a series called The Power of Giving. And as I was thinking about how to open this up with a catchy story or something that might enter, enter, be entertaining, you know, I, I was thinking like investing. I, I've, I've never been one to be an investor. Like I, um, I've spent most of my career in ministry, so therefore I never had any money to invest. Um, so it's, you know, I, but I just, I don't kind of, I'm not wired that way. I had my very first roommate actually, like when we were 18 years old, this guy was already looking at like, he was getting like investment magazines and things like that. And so he was kind of weirdly wired that way. And, and, uh, and you know, when I think about it, and I, as I think about investing, the thing that I automatically go to is like used cars for some reason. I, I don't know why. Because like, here's how I work in the world of investing. I feel like I'm a power investor when I go to my 401k at work and like I move money around. I'm like, look at this, man, I'm powerful. You know, it's, I don't know that it's even doing anything. But um, I think about used cars for some reason. So how many of you have had to buy a used car? Like everybody in the room, right? Like this to me is a risky investment. I mean, you don't know what you're getting. Like one, like you have no idea. We actually are doing some shopping for um, Evan. He turned 16 this year and he's getting his license this month. So we've kind of been looking at cars and, and um, when we found one, but it, it's, you know, we have friends that have it. So as I think about this, I'm like, okay, I think this is somewhat of a better investment because I kind of, I'm able to ask some questions that I feel like they're going to honestly answer because they're friends of ours. You know, I, you know, like what's really going on under the hood, you know, what this sound that it's making, what is that, you know, but you, you go to a car lot or you go to somebody you don't know and you ask those questions, they're like, oh no, it's, it's great, it's fine, everything's good, you know, the thing could be literally falling apart inside it and, and they wouldn't tell you, you know. But I feel like we're making a good investment because we know. And when I think about that idea of investing, I think most people want to make a good investment of their time and their energy, their resources, specifically their money. Like if you're asking someone to give to something or to donate to something, it, you, know, you want it to feel like it's a pretty good investment. Uh, Javin and I were actually talking earlier and we were talking about kind of the funny things you see on GoFundMe pages, you know, that... Um, you know, it started off as a good thing, you know, and people giving to good causes or to good donations. And now it's just like, you know, a deadbeat just goes on GoFundMe and asks for money because they want to be a deadbeat, you know, and all of a sudden that's okay in society. But I look at that and I'm like, that's just not a good investment. So we're in this series called The Power of Giving. And I, I think that, I believe that, I don't just think, I believe that and earnestly believe that when we're investing into the kingdom, it's a, sure, it's a sure investment. Like it is, it is investment that we can be sure about. It's an investment that we know that when we put our resources into God's kingdom and into God's work, that our greatest return is gonna come from that and that our resources are safe as we put them in there. Now, last week we talked a little bit out of Galatians chapter six, and I'm not, I'm not gonna spend too much time on this, but I believe it's important for the folks that weren't here as we kind of set the stage last week on, on this. And Last week, we talked about the law of the harvest because there is a law that exists. Paul points it out in Galatians. He's talking to the people of Galatia and he points this out about what's called the law of the harvest. And basically, it is the law that says you're gonna reap, you're gonna reap what you sow. Um, you know, like we, we looked at, if you can't plant orange seeds and expect to get apple trees out of it, all right? Like you're gonna plant, what you're planting is what you're gonna sow. So if we're planting bitterness in our life or unforgiveness, we're probably going to sow bitterness and unforgiveness as we go down the road. If, but if we're planting 
you know, if we're planting hope and we're planting good things in our life, if we're planting, you know, as we're being transformed in the image of Christ and we're planting that with our life, there is good that's going to be yielded out of that. Um, that was one of the principles is we reap what we sow. One of the other principles is we reap more than we sow. So when you plant an orange seed, now I'm not a farmer, so if you're like a farmer, you're getting this all wrong, just be patient with me. But if you plant an orange seed, you don't just get like one orange out of it, right? Like you get an entire orange tree. And then depending on how like things fall off of that tree, and I mean, you could get in, you know, several trees out of one seed. And so you're reaping more than you're sowing. Same thing with our life. As we reap things with our life, if you have children or even friends, maybe you're a single person, you're like, well, that don't really apply to me. Well, but you've got people that are in your inner circle. And so you are affecting more people than just yourself. And as you plant, say, unforgiveness with your life, you have people that are watching you and you can literally reap more than you're sowing. So this can be good and it can be bad. You know, you can sow good things with your life and you can reap more out of that. You can leave a legacy, you can, people are watching you and people can follow your lead. And so we're reaping more than we sow. And then lastly, the last point was we reap later than we sow. When you plant something into the ground, you don't get a yield. You don't yield a crop right away, do you? I mean, it takes time. It takes, it takes sometimes, depending on what you're planting, it could be two or three months before you get anything out of it. Now, a lot of us think, okay, well, I planted something years ago in my life, and it's been years, and I'm still not yielding anything. The law of the harvest says we're going to reap what we sow. So, again, this could be alternately positive or alternately negative. If we've gone for years and we've sown negative stuff with our life, and we consistently use hurtful words, we consistently use you know, language that's hurtful to the people around us, or we consistently have an attitude that's rotten, or we consistently are going against what God wants for us, we're going to yield that sooner or later. On the verse of that, if we're consistent with God, we're obedient to God, we have surrendered our life to God, you might be in a season where you're like, it just doesn't look like I'm getting anything out of that. You will. There will be a harvest, and the law of the harvest says so. So we reap what we sow, we reap more than we sow, and we reap later than we sow. So out of those principles, I gave you two action steps to kind of kick this series off. The first one was I asked you to ask yourself a question, to intentionally spend some time on this, to kind of get away, kind of quiet yourself, and really ask yourself this question. What am I sowing with my life? Like, like what are the things that I'm planting in my life? Like, what are the, what are the things spiritually or emotionally or physically even, like, like, what am I doing with my life? Like, what am I sowing with my life? Because the law of the harvest says we're going to reap what we sow. So that's a good question to introspectively ask ourselves: is, well, what are we sowing? Secondly, I asked you to ask yourself this question. Where am I spending my money and my time? Where am I spending my money? Where am I spending my time? Basically, where are my resources going? The things that I have control over. I have control over my time, and I have, for the most part, control over my money. So where are they going? Where, where is the primary, you know, thing for this? Have you ever sat down and done a budget? You know, most people are like, yeah, most teenagers are like, what's that? Most young adults are like, no, not even close. But when you do, you know, the most interesting thing you find out when you sit down to do a budget is you get a real view of where your money's going, right? And it sometimes can be very shocking how much you can spend at a Starbucks in a week. 
Okay, maybe it's not Starbucks. For me, it's Portico on Southeastern's campus. I told Jennifer the other day, I was like, I've got to get some good coffee to make in my office because I find myself going to our coffee shop on campus way too often because the coffee's just bad in our office. But where am I primarily spending my money and where am I spending my time? Because, you know, Jesus tells us in the Gospels, like, um, where those things are going, that's where our heart's going to be. That's, that's where our heart's at. That's truly where our heart is leaning toward, is when we find out where our predominant resources are going, that's where our heart's at. And that can be scary. I mean, you ask, yourselves, you ask yourself these two questions, and you might not like the answers, but that's, the, that's okay, because that gives us a place to start. That gives you a real, like a real view of where things are at, and you have to assess things. That's our life with Christ, is we can't just go along and kind of play it blindly. Like, we have to spend time and assess where we're at with our life. Assess where, how are we doing on the things that God's asked us to do? Where are we at on the things, you know, that God's asked us to be? And how are we handling this? And and without assessment, then we are just blind as we go along, and I don't think that's appropriate. So I would hope that you've considered these action steps. If you were here last week, if you weren't here this last week, then you were hearing these and I would ask that you would consider these as well, maybe this next coming week as we spend some time in this series. But, you know, I would hope that if you spent some time considering that you have inclined to actually do it. Um, you know, I, I'm not ignorant to the fact that I'll ask you to do things and that predominantly it doesn't get done because I've sat in your seat as well and pastor will say, hey, will you do these things? And I'm like, yeah, I'll do them and then never do them. But here's where, what I want for us. And here's what I know God wants for us as we come into here every week. He wants, us, he wants change to happen in our life. And I know that because in the word, it says that he's transforming us more into the image of Christ. I know that I look nothing like Christ, so I know change still needs to happen. And I could apply that to all of us and not in a negative way. It's just, we all need to be more like Christ. And so therefore, every single week that we come in here, he's wanting to change us. So I know that he wants to change us. And so I would ask that you would follow these action steps to help facilitate that change, to help to allow change to take place in us because I believe that he's given us some action steps along the way to help us have a better relationship with him. Now, this morning, we're going to get into the second part of the series. Now, let me give you a disclaimer. We are talking about money. It's right up front. We're going to be up front and honest with this. We're talking about money, but here's the deal. I'm not talking about money because we want your money. I'm talking about money because when you look in the New Testament, Christ talked more about money than most other things. Most of the time when he's talking about money, it's related to the relationship with his people and him in relation to money. So we're going to address it this morning. We're going to look at it. Um, But I would hope that at the end of this, you're not just pulling out your check to write a check, but you're looking at it in relation to how is my relationship with him in view of this resource that he's given us. He's given us many resources and money being one of them. And that's just what we're going to look at today. So we're going to go to the book of Malachi And if you've been in church at all, you're going to be like, oh, I know what verse you're going to use, but we're going to look at it a little different this morning. Now, before we look at the verse and the passage that we're going to look at, I want to look at the historical setting of this book, because I think it's very important as we we look at what Malachi, the prophet, is saying to the people, it's important that we understand what the condition of God's people was in this book. Now, we're about 100 years out of the exile. Now, Quick, quick, quick history lesson. I would, I would probably rather Rusty do this because he's a historian, but I'll do it. So just like go, no, you're wrong on that. Actually, no, just wait till after service to tell me. 
So the people of Israel, um, you know, God's chosen people. He pulled them aside. He said, you're going to be my people. I want to lead you. Um, you know, quick recap. A lot of times that didn't happen. They wanted a king. They just, they, they would follow God. They would not follow God. They would follow God. They would not follow God. You know, it was this repeated pattern over and over and over. At a point in time, God comes along with a prophet and says, hey, listen, enough's enough. You guys have got to learn something. You're going to go to exile for 70 years. Basically, you're going to go to a land that's not your own. You're going to be ruled over by someone that's not even, you know, not even God's people, by these, by these you know, heathens that don't even worship God. You're going, to have to, you're going to have to adhere to their culture. You're going to have to do things you never wanted to do. Basically, you're going back into what would be considered slavery that you were brought out of from Egypt because... You did not follow along. You did not, you know, obey me. You did not surrender to me. So there was this exile that they were put into, the people of Babylon. Babylon um, ruled over them. Now, 70 years was fulfilled. Uh, listen, we're talking about hours and hours of class study here of the Old Testament that I'm, you know, squishing down into a couple of minutes. But in the book of Malachi, it's the last book of the Old Testament, they're about 100 years out of the exile. They've come back into Jerusalem. If you've ever read the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah's kind of in this same time frame. Nehemiah comes back. They rebuild the temple. They rebuild, you know, in Jerusalem. They've got the temple going back up. So the hope was they would come back into their city, God's city, that they would reinstitute worship the way that it was before, that the people would once again see God's blessings on them, and that and then hopefully the savior that had been prophesied would come along and would rule over the new Jerusalem and everything would be hunky-dory. Problem is, is they have this history of consistently falling back into wanting to do things their own way. And that's where we find them. If you read the book of Nehemiah, the book of Ezra, you kind of find the setting and the, the junk that's going on in Jerusalem at this time. There's a lot of injustice. They're not caring for the poor. They're not caring for each other. They're they're, they've kind of reinstituted this broken worship system. They're, they're bringing, you know, lambs and sacrifices that are sick and that's not up to the standard of what God had asked them to bring. So they're, they're kind of bringing the least of what they could bring for worship, but expecting the greatest out of it. And, and so things are broken. Things are not the way that God would desire for it to be in the land of Jerusalem with his people. Because remember, he wanted his people to be set aside to be, a, to be blessed so that they could be a blessing to the rest of the world. But at this point, they can't even get like worship right. Malachi addresses things like, you know, their worship's broken. He addresses things like they're intermarrying with people outside of Israel, which he had told them not to do that because when they did that, then they brought in other, other forms of worship and they were worshiping other gods and other things. The, the men were divorcing their women at an alarming rate. Sounds like America was... You know, I mean, there was just this brokenness going on in Jerusalem, and, and God was concerned about this. The book of Malachi is really beautifully written. If you would take time, I would ask you to read it. It's, there's these kind of retorts that God gives his people, and the people come back, and they're like, but how? Why? You know, they're, they're complaining, and he addresses every single one. But we find in Malachi, there's a, a remnant of people that were worshiping God, and he says, we're, we're going to make sure that we write all their names down. And, and then at the end of the book of Malachi, it just goes silent. For 400 years, God's silent. We don't have any, any, anything recorded of where God spoke through a prophet to his people at all. And then in Matthew, we find that the Savior comes, that true change happens, a new covenant is cut, and, and this is the covenant that we're living in. So that's what's going on in Jerusalem and the people of Israel in this time. Things are broken. Worship's broken. 
People aren't doing what they were asked to do. They've gone back to old habits and they're, they're just, frankly, is just not a good spiritual atmosphere in Jerusalem at this time. They weren't following proper regulations for worship. They, were, they weren't bringing their best for sacrifices. But instead, they were bringing sick animals and not honoring God on how they should when they came to worship. Injustice was rampant. Worship was defiled. And respect for God was at a very, very minimum. So it's, the book's recorded by the, the prophet of the same name. Malachi is the guy that wrote it. God's addressing these issues in this book. Now, specifically where we're going to look is in chapter 3, verse 7. What we're going to look at is how the people were giving toward God. Now, God had instituted long ago the institution of the tithe. Basically, the people would bring their resources into the storehouse. One of the primary reasons was so that the, the Levites, the people that instituted worship, that they didn't have to work so that they could focus on the worship, they could focus on the temple, they could focus on keeping the people in a good spiritual atmosphere. This was why he instituted this. So the people would bring their needs into the storehouse, they would bring their things, they would bring food, they would bring finances, and therefore the, the Levites could, you know, they could take care of worship, they could take care of the things. Now, one of the things when they started breaking down and started not following God's regulations was they stopped bringing things into the storehouse. Therefore, like the Levites are like, well, we got to eat. So they go and they get part-time jobs. You know, they're, they're standing at Walmart going, hey, thank you, welcome, you know. No, they're like, they're going and they're farming and they're doing all these. So, so what happens is, is then worship begins to fall apart. Like they can't care for the temple. They can't do the things required for, you know, the, the sacrifices and they can't keep up with things. And so then the people aren't able to bring their sacrifices effectively. And so the whole system begins to break down because the resources aren't there. Let's read the passage, actually. Malachi chapter 3. And let's go down to... Let's actually go down to, to verse 4. In my, my reading glasses. Actually, let's go down to verse 6. So God's calling... God's speaking through the prophet Malachi, and he says, I'm the Lord, and I don't change. This is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Because he loves them. In, in chapter one, he tells them, like he starts out this, this discourse with, I still love you. Like you are still the apple of my eye. But, but I've got these issues, these things that are going wrong, that this dishonor that you've got toward me, we need to address these things. We can't just ignore the elephant in the room is what he's saying. Even though I love you, we have to address this. And so here in chapter three, he's like, I'm the Lord, I don't change. Like I loved you then, I love you now, however... That's the reason I haven't destroyed you because, you know, you, you're, you're far from the mark. You're far from getting it right. And he's like, let's get you back on the path. He said, ever since the days of your ancestors, you've scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, he's saying, but you ask, you people, you ask this, how can we return when we haven't gone away? Is, I mean, isn't that amazing? And then he said, they said, should people cheat God, yet you've, or God says, yet people cheat God, but yet you've cheated me. And then they come back and they say, what do you mean? How have we cheated you? Doesn't this sound like a conversation with a teenager? I mean, honestly. And God says, you've cheated me out of the tithes and offerings due to me. You're under a curse, for your whole nation's been cheating me. 
Now bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's army. Now, I love this. So coming from a, a technology background, I understand full well if-then statements. As you write code, it's, it's full of if-then. Like that's everything that you're doing on your smartphone and when you go, you know, you're shopping online, everything's built off of if you do this, then this is going to happen. The Bible's full of it. For a programming mind, it's amazing when I read it how many if-thens are in the Bible. And here is an if-then right here. If you follow the way that I, the system that I've set up, if you follow these decrees, if you follow these commandments I've got, then this is going to happen. I will open the windows of heaven for you and I'll pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try me, put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will, fall, will not fall from the vine before they're ripe, says the Lord. Then all nations will call you blessed. That was his ultimate goal with the people of Israel right there. You go back and you read Deuteronomy chapter 20 and he talks about cursings and blessings and like that was the ultimate goal. He wanted the rest of the world to look to the people of Israel and understand what true blessing was. And then because of that, they, they would bless the entire rest of the world. One small little nation that was completely and solely sold out to God would bless the entire planet if it, the plan was followed, if the system was worked the right way, if they, if they lived in obedience and total surrender to him. Then all nations will call you blessed for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So the people are cheating God by not bringing in the tithe. People are cheating God by, by not bringing in their offerings. The people are cheating God. The people are being cheated. They're cheating themselves by not following the system that God had set up to allow blessings to come into their life. Now, let's move forward to now our covenant. Now, many have a problem with ties because... It, a lot of times, you know, when I talk to people and they buck up against like this whole idea of tithes, a lot of times it's just the idea of um, it's mine. I mean, just be honest. Most of the people I talk to when we talk about it, it's, it's that idea of but that's mine. But is it really? I mean, isn't all that we have God's? I mean, doesn't it say that he, he reigns on the just and he reigns on the unjust? I mean, doesn't it say that he's blessed us with every blessing from heaven? And so when we breathe in air and we say, oh, that's from God, how do we then say that that dollar in my wallet is mine? Because it's not. The breath that I breathe, the air that I have, my family, my life, everything that I've got is due to him, is owed to him. And so if we look at it that way, we begin to look at our resources differently. The talents that I've been given, they're God's. They're given to him for, or they're given to me for a reason. So there's a couple of truths that I get from this text that I want to look at real quick. The first one is God has created a system to help us. And if I could expound on that just a little, God's created a system to help us be better connected to him. Um, now, there are many things that we can do to help us better connect to him, but I think one of the greatest things that keeps us from the relationship and all that he has for us is when we look at our finances as though they are solely ours, that they are solely ours to do whatever we want with. And, and, and it's just not the case. I believe that becomes a hindrance. 
I believe that becomes a stumbling block for us in our development of our relationship with him. And I don't just say this. I want to be real careful when I talk about this because many would come in and they've, they've heard different types of messages regarding finances. And, and this is not a prosperity message. I don't believe in that at all. Um, this is not a, you know, we've got a little bit of money in the bank and we need more type of message. I, I stand here feeling like if God has instituted Lakeland Family Church to happen, God's going to allow it to happen and he's going to give us the resources that we need. Come back to the point that I want you to have the best relationship that you can have with Christ. And I believe that when we surrender our finances to him, that opens up a whole nother like level of a relationship with him. And I do believe there is a system that God's put in place to help us with this. It's the system of the tithe and the offerings. Now, I was real careful when I typed out this, and, I, and some of you might want to argue or kind of go back and forth on this, but I believe it's a minimum. Is I don't know that it's so much of a commandment as it is a system that he's helped develop to allow us to have a closer walk with him. You can call it a commandment. But however, though, if it was a commandment and we weren't tithing, then we're sin. We're in sin. And, and then it becomes an obligation. But I, I believe this is one of those cases where, where he's created this system to allow us to surrender, to walk into surrender to him that opens up a whole other level of a relationship. If it was more of a commandment, I don't believe Paul would have told the church in Corinth to give cheerfully. Um, so we can go back and forth on that if you'd like, but not right now. We'll just look at it as God's created a system for us that helps us. The system's not obligatory, but instead in a way to help us to surrender what I think sometimes is the hardest thing for us to surrender. Um, I believe that when we fall in line with this system, when, when we cheerfully are giving like Paul says, I believe it creates an attitude of dependence on him for all of our needs. Creates a dependence upon him. Let, let's, let's talk about that for a second. As, as we grow up and as we grow older, especially as guys, like, I don't depend on anybody. I mean, I, I think about my, my 83-year-old dad, like, he, he's getting to the point in his life where he's beginning to have to depend upon people, and that's extremely hard for him. Like, when I say depend upon people, I mean to help him get his socks on, and, and things that, as a man, it, it can be very, like, demoralizing to have to have somebody help you do that, but... If we think back to when we were kids, like, we didn't have any problem depending on people, right? Like, like we, we had to because we just didn't know how or we weren't able or we weren't strong enough. But as we grow older, for some reason, like, we fight that idea of depending upon somebody. But I, I think that's okay. I mean, I don't think depending upon somebody in the way that you're just lazy, but I depend upon you guys. I depend upon you guys to hold me accountable. I depend upon you guys to help me grow in my walk with the Lord. I, I think that it's healthy that there is a level of dependence upon us within the body because then it becomes easier for us to depend upon him. But if we, if we as adults and even as teenagers as you're growing up like fight this idea of dependence, it becomes very hard to transfer that to our relationship with God. But we say, one of the things we say is, I can trust God no matter what. Trust really becomes about a dependence, and we should depend on him for everything. Now, without a system, here's, here's why I believe God's instituted this system, because without a system, we're inclined to not do this. 
I don't necessarily want to write a check every week to the church. Just be honest with you. It, it, you look at it at the end of the year, and it's like, that's a lot of money. I could have done, I could have went on a vacation, or I could have done this, or I could have bought this car. I could have did this addition to my house. And I mean, just in my own brokenness and in my heart, that's not something I would just lean to. But when I look to God and I see that there's a system in place, and I see why this system's in place, it becomes more understanding to me to sacrifice something for an investment. Because that's really what an investment is, right? Is you're sacrificing something, I'm not getting all Dave Ramsey on you here, but you're sacrificing something now so that you have something later. And that's an investment. And when we're investing into the kingdom, it's exactly what it is, is we have to sacrifice maybe some things, a boat or a trip or this or that or like, you know, things we like to have, but, you know, we're investing into something that maybe sometimes seems a little ambiguous, that seems like, well, where's the return on that? I'm not immediately getting a percentage back, or, or maybe I'm not seeing it right away, but there is a true investment that takes place. You know, even with a system, even with this system, and even with this message, and even with enlightenment on why the system exists, many will choose not to invest in the kingdom. I mean, if, if, you know, just being honest, when we look at our giving records, you know, there's, I don't know how many people here, it would probably be 20% that would give on a regular basis. And, and, and just to be honest with you, I, I see that sometimes as, a, as a, a guide or as even a metric for where are we at spiritually. And I even have a coworker that would argue with me on that. But I do, I believe that, I truly believe that. It's hard to quantify where your spiritual walk is at, but I believe that when there is certain surrenders that begin to happen, there's certain dependence and there's certain trust that begins to happen, it's a pretty good gauge that God's doing something there. So the original commandment in this regard was from Deuteronomy 14.22. God's speaking to his people and he says, you shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. Now, we're not talking about people that drew a salary year to year. They were farmers. They, they had crops. They had animals. So he's just saying, hey, look, you know, whatever you're bringing in, I'm allowing that to happen. I'm allowing the rain to fall on your crops. I'm allowing your, your animals to live and be healthy and be fat. And he's like, so as a recognition for who is allowing that to happen, I'm going to ask you to give a tithe back. A tithe just means 10%. But he's saying, I'm asking you to give me a portion back as a, as a symbol that you're depending on me, as a, a recognition of who it is that's allowing that to take place. So the Old Testament was an example of a people set apart by God and what it would look like to the rest of the world if they were solely committed to allowing God to provide for them in every area of their life. There were laws, regulations that were built around their daily life, around their celebrations, and around their worship. And this tithe was part of their worship. So in New Testament times, God says that, that these laws are now written upon our heart. We're not following a set, of, a set of tablets and regulations. He's saying, look, I'm writing my laws. I'm writing my, de my decrees, my, my regulations, the things I desire and the things I want. I'm writing them upon your heart. And then the Holy Spirit's going to guide you in what I'm writing upon your heart. But we can look back on the Old Testament to see how, how this effectively played out when his people were devoted to him and also when they were not devoted to him. Paul exhorted the 
the New Testament church in this way. As he was collecting an offering to give to the Jerusalem church who was in need, he was, you know, the Jerusalem church was, was in extreme need. And so he goes around to these other churches in Galatia and Corinth, and, and he's asking them, hey, you, you're part of your ohana, part of this body is in need over here, and you guys are in a position where you're able to, to help those that are in need. And he, he says this to them. He said, each one must give as he's decided in his heart. So in this, it, it looks like this, this idea of the tithe is morphing into something that's more that's more dynamic. It's morphing into something that's more led by the heart. But remember, he said, I put my decrees upon your heart in the New Testament. And so he's saying, listen, as you see the need, as you see the the things that's going on around you, as you see your local body, as you see your your global body in need, he says, God's going to impress upon your heart what what you need to do. He said, each one must give as he signed his heart, not reluctantly or under, corrupt, or under compulsion. He's like, I'm not going to put any pressure on you. He's like, I'm not even putting a, a, a command per se upon you. He's like, but you see the need. You understand what's going on. You should have a recognition of the resources that you've been given, where that's coming from, and who you should regard as who's given it to you. Because he says, for God loves a really reluctant giver. For God loves a giver who, you know, gives the least of what he can give. No. He says, for God loves a cheerful giver. Years ago at chapel at Southeastern, I would, I would go and I would attend with a friend of mine that worked there, and, I, and Dr. Rutland was the president, and, and I would love when they would take up the offering. It was exciting. I mean, you got a chapel full of these college students who are broke already, and they would come up to take up the offering, and the place would erupt and cheering, and yelling, and clapping. I mean, it was really a neat atmosphere that would happen. I don't know what they gave, but they were sure excited about what it was they were giving. But I I imagine that's how God desires for us to be as we are giving toward his kingdom and toward his mission, that we are excited. Whatever it is that we're given, whatever God's put upon our heart to give, whether it's 10%, 3%, or 40%, like whatever it is that he's laying on our heart to give toward the mission, that we're giving it cheerfully, that we're giving it in a position of we're excited to make that happen, we're excited to be part of it. We might not actually get to to touch or see or feel what God's going to do with it, but we know because he's an otherworldly God and there's miraculous things happening that he's going to take whatever I give and it's going to exponentially, like, yield something because we know that we reap what we sow. We know that we're going we're gonna to reap more than we sow. We, we know that it, it could even like reap later than we sow. See how that law of the harvest plays into now as we're talking about the tithe. The local body there in Corinth made sure that ministry in that local setting continued to happen by giving into the storehouse by allowing Paul to take those resources, to take them to Jerusalem church, to help make sure that that ministry continued. So secondly, the second thing that I draw out of this is God blesses us when we cheerfully give. There is a blessing that happens by our surrender and our obedience to give to God's mission. Once again, this is not about the prosperity message, that the more you give, you're going to get out of this and you know, you could get a Mercedes if you're writing a $1,000 check today. That's all hooey. I just, it is. I believe it goes against everything that God's instituted in this idea. 
but there is a blessing that takes place. I believe that the ultimate blessing that takes place out of this is that our hearts are turned more toward him in dependence. We begin to depend more upon him. You know, we, I don't know if you get the chance to talk to any old timers, you know, in the faith, but it's, I love hearing those stories of, man, we were, we were like one, you know, like one grocery bag away from starvation in our house, and then the doorbell rings, and, or somebody knocks on the door, and then there's a whole fleet of groceries out there on the porch. And I mean, you talk to some of these old timers, and they truly were completely dependent upon God to the point of they depended on him for everything. We live in such abundance and we live in such just kind of, you know, resourcefulness now that I, there's just something missing there. I mean, I'm not saying I want to get to the point where I'm like one can of soup away from starvation, but, I, but, but what does it take for us to get to the point where we truly are dependent upon him? And I just think this one simple act of allowing him to take care of our finances and surrendering that to him, that he moves our hearts to a place where we begin to fully more surrender to him. You know, see, he blesses his children that are dependent on him for everything. He said that, you know, he said that through Malachi to his people, look, you're, you're far away from me right now, but if you can get this one thing right, like if, if you can begin to start tithing and giving your offerings back to the storehouse, he's like, I'm gonna start taking care of your crops. I'm gonna start taking care of your animals. You're gonna have a blessing. You're, he says, you're gonna be blessed to the point where the rest of the world is gonna recognize how blessed you are. That's a pretty big blessing, guys. Like, that's a big deal. We're not talking about a people of like hundreds and hundreds of millions of people. We're talking about a little small nation that had been in exile, that had just come back to their city that was in kind of ruins. And he's like, I'm going to bless you to the point where everyone else is going to recognize. That's big. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Again, Paul said, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Philippians, he said this to the church of Philippi, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. According to his riches. He makes Bill Gates look poor compared to his riches. He's loaded, like rich uncle, like to the nth degree loaded. His riches. He says, I'm gonna supply all your needs. But remember, there's an if then there, right? If you're surrendered, if you're obedient, if you're following along with my plan, there's blessings that come in that. So two action steps as we close this down that we have for you today, two action steps. I would ask that you would prayerfully consider tithing. I would ask that you would prayerfully consider tithing. Remember, tithe just means 10%. Now listen, not as a commandment, not out as a, an obligation. Remember, out as, a, out as a, a surrender and an obedience to grow in your walk with him, I would ask that you would consider tithing. Seriously, like seriously spend some time and ask God about it. If you're reluctant to it, ask God why. Like, why am I so reluctant to this? And if it comes down to something theological that you want to talk to me about, let's talk about it. But I would bet that a lot of times it just comes down to it's mine and I don't want to let go of it. I would never expect you to make a knee-jerk reaction in an investment. 
I mean, if I came to you with a tip and I said, listen, this thing's going to explode, let's put some money into it, I would never expect you to go, okay, I trust everything you say, here's a check. I would expect you to do some homework. I would expect you to, to think about it. I would expect you to talk to your family about it. I would expect you to, to really like examine it and consider it. And I would, exa- I would ask you to do the same with tithing. If you're not tithing now, I, I would say, I would even, even say like, don't start this morning. Go home and pray about it. Go home and ask your family about it. Go home and, and go home and dig into some scripture about it and really like examine this idea. Secondly, and I'm about to make my board members extremely nervous. I'll give you your money back if you start tithing and in three months, you're like, this is hooey sitting for me. I don't see anything out of this. My relationship with God's not closer. My, I don't feel any different. I, don't, I, don't, I think this is a waste of time and money. I'll give you your money back. Just, you got to let me know. Like, you got to let me know you're taking this challenge. You got to come to me and say, okay, I'm going to take that. I'm going to take that challenge. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to try that out. I'm going to give it a test drive. God told his people in Malachi, people that knew him, people that, that knew the old stories, their, their grandfathers and grandmothers, and I mean, you know, all the way back, like they were the ones that walked across the dry land, you know, out of Egypt and and, you know, they've seen all this stuff. They've seen the deliverance out of Babylon. And, you know, they've been involved in this and they know the stories. And even to them, God says, look, I'm going to ask you to do this because it's going gonna, it's gonna to bless you. You're going to be closer to me. He's like, give it a try. They'd already given it a try. They, they knew what to expect out of that. But I believe that God is so much in the center of us surrendering to him everything, including our finances. I, don't, I, I feel like that's a pretty safe bet. And if you get to the end of three months and you really want your money back, I bet if we had a conversation, it really isn't, doesn't have anything to do with money. That you're maybe holding something else back from God. And ultimately, I just want you to be close to God. I mean, the short of it is it, it does take money to make this happen. It, it took money to make, it took resources to make the temple worship happen then. I mean, it, takes it to happen now too we we are good stewards over what you guys give I, I do believe that i believe we have good checks and balances in place and we have good people on our board that that keep up with it. anytime you want to see what's going on you just come and ask us and we'll talk to you about that there i have no doubt whatsoever that we are doing good things with what you guys are giving but it's even bigger than just here like we're able to help a missionary over in laos that works with wickliffe that's translating the Bible into the Laos language, which there's very few over there, but we're able to help support that missionary monthly because of what you guys give. We're able to help, occasionally we're able to help Andrew Verts, who's in Louisiana doing Young Life ministry to a bunch of middle schoolers in a town where there is a spiritual absence. We're able to help him in his ministry. Very soon, our, our church, as you guys continue to give, we're able to help the Church of the Nazarene on a district, a national, and a global level as we give back into our denomination. We're able to do amazing things with our staff and our teachers here at R. Bruce Wagner. We've been able to help a couple of people locally because of what you guys give. And those of you that give faithfully week after week, whether it's, I, 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 see, I see smaller amounts and I see larger amounts. 
But everybody that's giving, I guess I, I could guarantee you that if you sat down and had a conversation with them, they would not regret any dime that they've given. Because I could guarantee you their walk with the Lord's closer and they feel they're part of something bigger. And I want you to do that as well. I want all of us to be to that place. So our action steps is prayerfully consider tithing. Prayerfully consider, really prayerfully consider that. And then secondly, just take our money back guarantee. You want to do that? You talk to me. And at the end of three months, it, it didn't work. We'll give your money back. Two easy steps. They're a little harder to put into action. But I dare you to do it. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the systems that you've put in place to help us to be closer to you. Because God knows I, I have a heart that likes to wander and it likes to, to not be where you want it to be. There's so many other just things in this world that easily pulls us away, easily pulls us astray, gets us off step and off rhythm. And so I, I thank you so much that you've put things in place that helps these sinful hearts, these sinful hands, these sinful minds to be more in touch and more in line with you. Help us today. Let your sanctifying oil just pour over us today as we, as we struggle to be more like you. I pray that you help us to sense and feel your power working in and through us today. God, I, I pray that, that we would each get to a place where we fully are reaching surrender to we are fully reaching obedience in the things that you want us to do, the way that you want us to live, the, the way that you want, to want us to handle the things you've given us. So I pray that if there is offense taken today, that you would let grace take place. I, play, I pray that if there's question in, in what's being said, that you would bring answers through your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would speak to all of us so that we can be closer to you, so that Lakeland Family Church can be more effective and that ultimately your kingdom would come. In Jesus' name.